All right, if you have your Bibles, we're in Joshua chapter 2. You can turn to Joshua chapter 2. I'm going to go ahead and pray for us, and uh, we can get right into the Word. Sound good? We all good tonight? Right. Sweet time of worship, wasn't it? So good. I do know where Joshua's at. Hang on one second. I'll get there. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for, for your word, and thank you, God, that uh, these words written 3,000 years ago plus are as powerful today as they were then. We pray that your word would be met with faith, that your word would be met with trust, that we would believe the revelation that you give to us tonight, and we pray that our lives would be changed. God, thank you that you just don't do things the way that we would do them. God, you surprise us, and your ways are so unconventional, and I'm grateful for that, God, grateful for this story that really does just wake us up to your reality. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to jump right into this. The Bible says, and we'll start just in, in verse 1. The Bible says, in Joshua chapter 2, the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. So, you know, as, as we're reading this story, I mean, obviously, uh, and, and sometimes we forget to do, do this, right? We think about the context. We think about what's, what's really going on. And, and everything up to this point, like everything really had been leading to this climactic moment for the children of Israel. And we, we've jumped in at Joshua, but like I said last week, don't forget, we have 40 years of Israel wandering in the desert. I mean, 40 years of being reminded of your failure, 40 years of, yes, the faithfulness of God in that he still sub supplied their needs, and their sandals did not wear out, nor did their clothes, and they were led by a pillar of fire by day and a, a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day, all of that demonstrating the faithfulness of God, and yet still it was... Uh, it was difficult because there was a promised land that they were called to inherit. And so just think about this like a, a, a symphony, right? And, you know, when you have this uh, beautiful um, symphony that's been created, it all leads to a climax or an apex. And really, that was this moment. I mean, this was the fulfillment of the great thing that God had planned for the children of Israel. And so um, Joshua, being the good military leader that he was, thought it's probably good to send a couple of spies into the land just so we can kind of get a little bit of a word back as to what's happening in, in Canaan and what Jericho was like and what we're going to be confronted with. And so this is precisely what he does. It's Jericho first because as they're crossing the Jordan River, as they would cross the Jordan River, this was the first city that they'd be confronted with. It was a fortified city. We'll talk about this next week fortified city, the walls were thick, it was impregnable, it was really uh, the most advanced city in the area at the time. In fact, Jericho is known to be the oldest city uh, in, in history. And you can actually go there today and see some of the ruins of Jericho, and we'll talk about the archaeological evidence 
uh, that we can see today of how the city was destroyed so many years ago, not by the military might of the Israelites, but by the power of God, just a total demonstration of God's power. And so, you know, Joshua, by the way, Jericho um, means there's like three different possible definitions, city of fragrance, city of the moon, um, and then city of the palms. And it, I think the last one really does describe Jericho. It was just, you know, laden with palm trees. But, you know, what, what Joshua does here is for sure wise as a leader. He sends two spies in. By the way, this is not Joshua's first rodeo on sending spies into the land, right? You remember... 40 years earlier, how many spies were sent into the land by Moses? 12 were sent in. And how many had a bad report? 10 had a bad report. How many had a, I'm going to test your math today, okay? How many had a good report? Two did. And so, so, look, I'm just thinking about Joshua's perspective. He's like, I'm not sending 12 spies into the land again. I'm sending two, Right. Two had a good report last time, and one was Joshua, one was Caleb, all of this for sure, something that was on his mind. They were the only two from the generation that did not pass away. Uh, Remember, that whole generation had to be done away with uh, for the children of Israel to inherit the promised land. And so, not his first rodeo, he might have been a little bit more careful in the selection process of these individuals. In fact, Um, The Bible uses a unique word in Hebrew for chosen um, or selected. It's it's the word uh, that can also be translated dedicated. And so I think that, I think Joshua picked uh, men who were men of faith and men who were men of wisdom, who were really going to see with spiritual eyes, and we'll talk about this later on, how important for it is for us to encourage other people in the things of God to be men and women of faith. And I think collectively from just the the picture of the nation, probably as they were entering into the promised land in not too distant of the future, there was this past failure that was hanging over their hearts and they were not gonna make the same mistake twice. And so these spies go into the land, they're surveying all of the land, and then they get to uh, Jericho. And it's really interesting because the Bible says they, they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab. Like that really, I don't know, you, you guys, you know, you know these stories and so you read it and it's like, oh yeah, children of Israel, send a couple spies, they go into a prostitute's house, pop, 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 pop. And I'm like, no, wait a minute. Like, wait a minute. This is the moment of moments. And, and what does God do? God orchestrates it in such a way where they're going into the house of a prostitute now, I mean, obviously, from a strategic point of view, these, these guys did not want to be recognized. They didn't want it to be a big deal, them walking into the city. So they wanted to pick a place in the city they could go to where there was a, a lot of traffic, a lot of foot traffic, a lot of male foot traffic. And so they picked Rahab's house because there were just a lot of dudes that were rolling in and rolling out of that home. And so it just wouldn't have been a big deal. Do you know what I'm talking about here? It just wouldn't have been a big deal to see a couple of guys going into this house. But I do think like, I just love the way God does stuff, right? If I'm writing the story, it's, and they went into Jericho and they happened to find a house of people who worshiped Yahweh 
and they were super moral, and they were really good, and they were embraced, and it was on Shabbat, and they celebrated the Passover. Like, that's how I would have written it. And God's like, no, I'm going to blow your mind because I don't do things the way you do. And I'm going to mess up the way that you see stuff in your also typical religious way. And I think that's what God does. You know, he, he should have the freedom to mess with us, right? He should have the freedom to mess up our messed up way of thinking because far too often we make a box and we try to stick God in it. And God won't be stuck in your box, all right? We'll get back to Rahab. Verse 2. And it was told to the king of Jericho, behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, bring out the men who have come to you who entered your house, for they've come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them and and said, no, now you, you for sure should be thinking, why in the world, why in the world would she put herself at risk and hide these men? It's not that she just hides them, she covers for them. She said this to the the men the king had sent. True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, right? I mean, she's like, hey, you better get after them because they're on their way. Pursue them quickly for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued, the men listened to her, the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. So um, definitely you should be thinking, why in the world would Rahab, this prostitute, put herself at risk and put her family at risk and put her business at risk and, you know, stick her neck out in a way to protect these two, two Israelites who were obviously spies and who did not necessarily have good intentions for the people of Jericho. Um, now, I, I just want to address an issue because a lot of people, when they read the story, and you know, if you've read the story, you know how it rolls out. You know, ultimately, the city of Jericho is destroyed and, and God uses Rahab and I think a lot of people say, well, well, wait a minute, you know? I mean, how is it that God used someone who was actually lying to accomplish his purposes? I mean, this has been one of those age-old questions, whether it's, and this question comes up, you know, whether we're talking about the midwives and how they preserved and protected Moses or whether we're talking about Rahab here in this situation. Uh, because we're going to see tonight that Rahab and um, her faith was definitely celebrated in Scripture. There are some people who say, well, you know what? She didn't really lie. She didn't really lie. She told the truth, but she didn't just, she really didn't tell the whole truth. And, and you know, my answer to that is, yeah, well, part of that's true. You know, she, she did tell part of the truth, and then she strategically withheld a lot of other information. But there are things that she says here 
that are absolutely false. Like there's just no, I don't think there's a way to argue around the reality that Rahab in this situation lied. And so how do we reconcile that? And, and are we talking about situational ethics? And it is, is it okay for us to, to you know, do things that aren't ethically right if we think that the situation warrants it? I want you to think about five things here today, okay? I know you probably, it's evening, you worked hard, you probably can only handle one, but, but, but you know me, I'm gonna give you five. Number one, the Bible's focus is on affirming her faith. The Bible's focus is on affirming her faith. You will notice as you read every scripture that deals with Rahab that the scripture never condones or celebrates her sin. The scripture never celebrates her lying. And so tonight we'll check out Hebrews, we'll talk just a minute about James, And, and it's important for us to not only see what the scripture does say, but also to recognize what the scripture doesn't say. Um, I think it's interesting as well that when the Bible uses the word hid and hidden, they're two different words, and both words are also used when the midwives hid Moses. Same words that are used. And it is possible, some people make the argument um, based on that story and the similarities here that the ancient writers did not see this as an unethical situation, just as the midwives were justified in preserving Moses' life from Pharaoh, who was not only a type of Satan, but he was absolutely a murderous ruler, so also Rahab was justified in doing the same, in preserving these lives from a murderous king. Which leads me to point number three, Um, Rahab, we'll see this in just a minute, and the the wording that's used uh, by Rahab for the decision that she made to choose to believe in Yahweh is very strong. So make no mistake about it, Rahab by faith had chosen a side. Rahab by faith had chosen a side. She was siding with Israel in a wartime situation, and and, and if you frame it like that, what she recognized is that she was resisting the efforts of a murderous king who would have ultimately killed those spies. The fourth thing that I think we need to consider is she was, and, and just like work with me when I say this, she was a new believer living in Canaan, right? If in fact, and I think that her faith was, well, there's no doubt about it. Her faith was sincere. Her faith was genuine. It was also fresh and brand new, And she had been living in a very evil culture. Like if you study the Canaanite culture, what you'll discover is, you know, it was one of the most wicked, evil cultures that that has ever existed on the face of the earth. This is one reason why God called the Israelites to wipe these nations out completely because they were just so rotten morally. And and we'll, we'll develop that more later. But I want you to think about it. Her whole context, her whole framework for morality was the Canaanite culture. She had no framework for ethics or moral or, or morality. And so if, you know, I think that it's expecting too much from Rahab, this like moral perfection in this situation is definitely expecting too much. Let me just give you an example. When you got saved, right? When you put your trust and faith in Christ, did you stop sinning? Right? Did, you, did, you, did you all of a sudden, you know, a magic wand was waved over your life and, and you've never lied again? 
right? I mean, I, I think you kind of get my point on that. By the way, I'm not justifying or condoning sin. I'm just saying, like, that was kind of the situation that she was in. The fifth and final thing is this. Um, just because a righteous act is done by a person doesn't mean the whole life is condoned or celebrated. And so it's very possible for God to affirm something that someone does and, and celebrate it in Scripture. And just because he does that doesn't mean that he's celebrating every other aspect of the person's life. And I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that God, um, I, I'm thankful that God affirms the steps of faith and the good things that we do in Jesus' name. Aren't you thankful for that? And he doesn't just wipe them out because of the various struggles we might be going through. So if you're wondering, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, uh, is a verse where we find Rahab mentioned. And you know, of course, that's the, the great hall of faith. And the Bible says this about Rahab. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she'd given a friendly welcome to the spies. So she's affirmed for her faith, uh, and she's affirmed because of how she received the spies, and we'll talk just in a minute about why she did that, but nowhere does the scripture celebrate her dishonesty. And then in James chapter two, verse 25, James is talking about how real faith is manifested in our works. Real saving faith always is evidenced in the way that we behave, in the things that we do. James's whole point is like, don't tell me that you have faith and there's no evidence of it in your life because that's impossible. Real faith is active. Real faith is evident. I mean, there should be fruit if, in fact, you have faith in God. And he, first of all, he uses Abraham as an example. And then crazy, out of all of the different characters in scripture he could have picked, the other person he chooses as an example of faith is Rahab the prostitute. I mean, it's just mind-blowing to me. And he says this, and in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. And so I'm just, just telling you, you have to be really careful when you're thinking about Rahab and how the scripture talks about her, you have to be really careful in making sure you understand what the scripture does say and what the scripture doesn't say. It all takes me back to this, you know, the unconventional ways of God, this long-awaited moment, this apex, this climax, and the moment of Israel's history and the fulfillment of this, this extraordinary promise that God had given. And how does God do it? He does it by raising up a prostitute to faith. Raising up a prostitute to faith. And I say, as I read this story, I think, I think, who can't be touched by God? I mean, who can't be touched by God? Guys, you know how we are. We have this, like, we have this way of disqualifying people as potential candidates for salvation. Like, we do that. I hear it all the time. It's like, well, you know, that person can probably get saved, and that person can probably get saved. And then we look at this other category of people, and, you know, we've got issues with this category. We've got issues with this subculture, and pretty soon we're at war with them, and we've forgotten that God can save anybody. And I think, like, right off the bat, this is what God is saying. Never lose sight of the reality that I can touch anybody's life. Yeah. Yeah, a third of you are excited about that. A third of you are. 
And not only that, I, I, I want, and we'll get into this right now, but think about the limited revelation that Rahab had. Really, it's extraordinary. The Bible says in verse 8, before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, she said, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Say wow tonight. She says, thank you. I know, I know that the Lord, when you see the word Lord in all capital letters, it means what? It means Yahweh. It's the name of God. So like understand here, this is a, this is a girl who's been raised in a polytheistic culture and she calls their God by name. I know that Yahweh has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land will melt away before you. Like there's no doubt in her mind. And, and, and how has she come to this conclusion? Well, check this out. Verse 10, for we have heard how the Lord, how Yahweh dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon and Og whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For Yahweh, your God, check this out, he is the God of heavens above and on the earth beneath. Oh, that's, that's just good. That's just good. I'm telling you right now, this girl's not messing around, right? This girl's not messing around. She has been given a little bit of revelation. And this is how unconventional God is. What does God do? God encourages, confirms, and preserves his promise through a prostitute, right? Can you chew on that tonight? For the children of Israel, for Joshua, who's a leader, what does he do, do through this one woman, this unlikely hero, which is, by the way, the title of tonight's message, he encourages, he confirms, and he preserves his promise through her. Like everybody, this is 40 years after those events and what God had done then four decades earlier was still impacting their hearts today or then, <laughs> obviously not today because that's 3,000 plus years later. But there was fear. I'm not saying today that their fear equaled faith because certainly it did not. But what God had done, that revelation of the power and the demonstration of the Lord, of Yahweh, because the Bible says with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, he delivered his people. And word had trickled up, not through social media, not, not, even, through, not even through newspapers, but it had gotten to the people of Jericho and they were still 40 years later thinking through what, what God had done. And now the king of Jericho is like, wait a minute, I've got these Israelites who've been wandering in the desert for, for four decades, walking in circles. Now they're right across the Jordan River, some 1.5 million of them. Historians say that at this point in time, Israel was between one and a half and two million people. And so the people of Jericho were obviously really concerned about this. But there was something unique about Rahab. She was paying attention. She was watching carefully. She had heard the stories. And what she had heard was also mixed with faith. So that she was able to say, I know. I know. 
These aren't just myths. They're not fairy tales. They're not just things that other people believe. I have heard the word. I've got a glimpse of revelation as to who Yahweh is, and I have come to a personal conclusion. And this is all the more extraordinary considering that this girl was raised in a totally polytheistic culture. It should remind you of Abraham when he was spoken to by God in Ur, right? He'd been, he'd been nurtured, he'd been cultivated in polytheism and a total absence of truth. And yet God can still break through all of that. Like there's no, think about the, the work of God in this girl's life. There's no pastor that's present. There's no Jewish infrastructure that's there. There's no radio station that she's able to turn to and have you know, a moment of encouragement to believe in God. All she has is herself, God, and the revelation. And that was enough. That was enough. You know, I thank God it's enough. I thank think God it's enough in the, in the US. I thank God it's enough in China. I thank God it's enough in these countries in North Africa where there's no Christian witness at all. And, and that should grieve our hearts. You know, I think about some of these countries where there's 200 known Christians, Libya, right? 50 to 200 known Christians five or six years ago, or, or Morocco, or Tunisia, or Algeria. And I think, God, thank you that you're sufficient. Thank you, God, that you can speak through visions and dreams and you can touch these people, and that when you do send your messengers into the land, that the, the hearts have already been prepared. You know, this is what she said. She's like, I know Yahweh is the God, is God in the heavens and, and on the earth beneath. Yahweh is God, and because she had come to this conclusion, she knew that there was no standing against him. What did they discover? Well, you know, God had gone before the spies, before they had ever gotten there, and he'd prepared the heart of this woman because she was willing to mix the revelation with faith. And I think as we just pop back to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, and James chapter 2, verse 25, that is what is commended about her. The, the consistent commendation for Rahab is that she just she didn't just hear the revelation, she chose to believe it. And, and I think, you know, you guys, there's so much responsibility that we bear in being subjected to the revelation of God so often, right? We live in a culture that's rich with Bible teaching. We live in a culture where we can, we can surf you know, the radio stations or the internet, and we can find uh, worship music and, and, like I said, solid Bible teachings, and we get inundated with it. We get saturated with it, and don't get me wrong, it's a good thing if, in fact, what we hear is being mixed with faith. If we're taking what we hear, the revelation that God is just so good to, to give us, and we're willing to say, you know what, God, I believe that. I believe that. I'm choosing to believe. I'm choosing to walk in that. That truth is going to be the center of my life. I'm going to orient myself around it because the alternative is so bad that we could sit day in, day out, week in, week out, and have the word of God falling like a seed on our heart and not ever finding good soil. 
either having the enemy come and snatch the word away or the seed finding some shallow soil, but because of persecution and difficulty, the fruit dies away. Or there are all sorts of things that creep up and choke the goodness of the fruit of God's word out in our life, like, like the cares and the concerns of this world. God, help us to have a heart that, is, that, that has rich soil so that when the word is planted in it, there is a real, there, there's a real faithfulness that we have and a real fruit that comes from it. I think it's interesting, you know, just to, just to kind of wrap this up, when you look at the hall of faith, there are only two women that are mentioned as women of faith. One is Sarah and one is Rahab. I think that that's extraordinary. And the other thing that I already mentioned is uh, James, as he's making this strong case for evidence to our faith, chooses Abraham and, and he also chooses Rahab. So, so I would say, like, I, I think the takeaway for us tonight is really easy, right? This is low-hanging fruit. When we hear God's word, when God gives revelation, let's make sure we're embracing it by faith. Let's make sure we're yielding our lives to it and surrendering ourselves to the truth of, of God's word, that we're embracing it and saying, God, not only do I believe that that's true, but it's true for me. It's true for me. We'll talk about this on Sunday. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Well, that is only true if you mix the revelation of God through his word with faith in your life. For instance, can I just... Can, Amen. Amen. So for instance, tonight God's going to speak something to you. God's going to give you something. There's going to be a little bit of light that shines on your heart. There's going to be a word or, you know, the, the truth is maybe it'll come through worship or someone's, someone's going to share something concerning God to you. And when that opportunity comes, how are you and I going to respond well, I appreciate that about her. I also appreciate the fact that she wasn't just thinking about herself. The Bible says in verse 12, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I've dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when Yahweh gives us the land, just check out their faithfulness there, right? There was no doubt in their mind. When Yahweh gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. I want to say to you tonight that her willingness to walk by faith not only blessed her, but it blessed, it blessed her whole family, right? It blessed her whole family. I think, dude, I just, I don't know. I'm not saying this is the way that it worked, but I just wonder if Rahab, if mom and dad were like, dang man, you know, why did we get her for a daughter? Our stinking daughter's a prostitute, man. Like, like she, is, she is just such a, she is such a, a bummer to our family lineage, right? I mean, I just wonder if there was the temptation to want to blot Rahab out. And then the craziest thing happens, the whole family is saved by the most unlikely family member, like, wouldn't that have been a humbling moment? I don't, I don't know if it worked like this in your family, but, but I for sure was like the most messed up one in my family. There's no doubt. 
I mean, there's no doubt. And there, there are so many horrible stories, you know, so many things I put my parents through that still to this day, I'm, you know, I've got some age on me. And when I talk to my mom, I'm like, I'm really sorry, you know? <laughs> She's like, honey, you never did anything wrong. I'm like, mom, thank God that memory dies out over the years because, you know, I think back and I'm like, man, that's so shameful, it's so bad. But you know, you know, it, it's just, it might be the most unlikely person in your family that gets touched by God and that begins to influence, begins to influence everybody else. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Verse 15, then she let them down by a rope through the window for her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go into the hills or the pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward, you may go your way. The men said to her, we will be guiltless with, with respect to this oath of yours that you've made us swear. Behold, and these are the details of the covenant that they make with this prostitute and her with these two Israelites. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and your mother and your brothers and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head. And we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your word, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed. Check this out. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. So look, it's pretty self-explanatory, right? Uh, she has this covenant of agreement, and the way that it works is because she was living on the city wall, which was one of the reasons why there was probably a lot of traffic going in and out of her house, and another reason why the scarlet cord would have been that easily visible to the armies of Israel, she, they make this agreement. Listen, you're going to take this scarlet cord, you're going to hang it out your window, and make sure that everybody in your family that you want to live. I mean, I wonder if that was a hard decision for her, right? I mean, you know, it's like, it's like, yes, yes, yes. You know, there was that time... There was that time, but I'm sure she said yes to everybody. Everyone's in the house, and the agreement was make sure they don't leave the house. If they, if they leave the place of dwelling, then their blood's on their head. You know, I mean, we're, we're, we can't be held responsible for that. The only safe place is to be in the room where the scarlet cord is attached. And the promise was that all those in the room would be preserved. And so... You know, you say, well, I mean, what does that have to do with anything? I think, like, there's a picture here. It's a beautiful picture. Some of you who are students of the word, right now you're reminded of Passover. And you remember the Passover story, right? When the, the blood, the scarlet blood from the lamb was sprinkled on the doorpost and the lentil of the home, everybody within the home was preserved and protected from the angel of destruction. You know, their theologians do say that there is a scarlet 
cord or a scarlet thread that runs throughout scripture. In fact, I taught on this uh, a number of months ago, that beginning in Genesis chapter three, what we see, um, and, and listen, even before that, in the tunics that Adam and Eve wore, there was a sacrifice that was made, a willingness of God to atone for the sin of humanity through the giving of life, through the sacrifice you know, up to the New Testament of an animal, and you see that thread throughout scripture in the tunics that were worn, the sacrifice that was made by the father of those animals, the promise that was given in Genesis chapter three of the Messiah who would come and literally crush Satan underneath his feet. And then the Passover in Exodus chapter 12 that I'd mentioned, you know, the slaying of the lamb, the sprinkling of the blood, the preserving of the firstborn in all of those homes, and then the Levitical sacrificial system of atonement as the blood of bulls and goats and lambs and turtle doves would be poured out on the altar of sacrifice to cover the sins of those Old Testament believers, and then all of this ultimately leading up to the giving of the Son of God on the cross for us, that scarlet thread or cord of redemption that we see throughout the Bible. And then we fast forward into the book of Revelation and we see John with this amazing vision of heaven. And what does he see? Well, he sees the Father and then he also sees the Lamb, the Lamb of God that was slain for the sin of the world, still in heaven, reflecting the heart of the Father to give for us what mattered most to him. You know, I think that this reminds us that you are safe, you are preserved as long as you are in Christ. As long as the the scarlet, the red blood of Christ has been sprinkled upon your life in faith. That, you know, you're not in a place tonight where it's like, yeah, well, I've heard about Jesus. And I know that Christians believe in Jesus. And I've even got some friends who are followers of Christ. And you've had a a glimpse of the revelation, but you've never taken a step of faith yourself. Because you know what? You'll never be preserved. You'll never be protected. Judgment will not pass over you so you can receive the grace and mercy of God unless you yourself say, I believe. Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God, that you died on the cross for me, that you were raised victoriously from the dead. And I receive by faith, the forgiveness of the Father, sending my sin away and uniting me to his heart forever. Tonight, maybe you've never taken that step of faith and, and, the, tr- and the truth is God is speaking to you tonight and he's calling you to come just as you are. You know, you, you tonight might think, man, I'm all messed up. I'm all messed up, man. I've jacked my life up. It doesn't get worse than me. And I say, if God can save Rahab a prostitute with a little bit of light while there's no no witness around of him, God can do a work in your life this evening as well. Don't write yourself off. Don't write yourself off. You know, it is amazing who God chooses and uses. It's amazing who God chooses and uses. I think people have the tendency to conceal the shameful parts of their lineage. You know, maybe you've got one of those uncles. You're like, oh man, it's like Uncle Fester. Here he is at Christmas again. Why does he even have to be here? And it's like, you just want to distance yourself. And you know what God does? God takes the seemingly most shameful parts of the lineage of Christ and he holds them up as trophies of grace. That's what God does. And if you don't believe that, then you should read the lineage of Jesus in Matthew's gospel account, 
Because maybe you don't know this, but Rahab is mentioned. This prostitute, you know, who was so powerfully used by God, was selected and chosen not only to preserve the promise of the father to the children of Israel, but it was through her line that Messiah ultimately would come. Did you know that that she's in Jesus' line? Did you know that she's in David's line? Did you know that she's in Jesse's line? Did you know that she's in Boaz's line? I mean, these great figures in Scripture that we respect so much, guess what? Great-grandma was a redeemed prostitute, and, and, and God loves that. Like, God's like, yeah, she's mine. You got a problem with that? You got a problem with that? Because God will go to bat. God will go to bat for you. He will. The Bible says in Matthew 1.5, Uh, And this is the lineage piece, right? And Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David. Like that is just the, that's what God does. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. And I just want to, I want to say that in the positive, by faith, anyone can please God. By faith, anyone can please God. Well, let's wrap up tonight. The Bible says in verse 22, they departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they told him, I know there's a good joke in there about Joshua being the son of Nun, but but I'm... I haven't figured it out yet, so I can say the stupid pastor ones, but my kids won't let me do that anymore. They're like, Dad, stop saying that joke. And they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, truly Yahweh has given all the land into our hands, all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Hey, the final thing I just want to say tonight is this. These two spies, they come back with the word of faith. They come back with the word of faith. They come back with a word of encouragement. And it's not just as if they say, hey, listen, we're good. Jericho's ours, not a problem. They're like, listen, Joshua, all the land, not just the city of Jericho, but all the land, God has already done it. God has already done it. I want to remind you, church, when God makes the promise, the work is already done. When God makes the promise, the work is already done. All you have to do is walk in it. We were singing tonight, you are my champion. And I just want to ask you, do do you really believe that? Like what is a champion? Champion is someone who has won something. He's he's won it. You know, he's, he's accomplished the victory. He's put in the work. He has succeeded. And Christ has fully succeeded on your behalf. Every promise of God is yes and amen for those who are in Christ Jesus. So listen, stop waffling. Stop waffling. Stop stop having a half-hearted faith. Stop believing that the victory is only partially completed. Stop thinking that somehow you can add to what Christ has already done. You need to have that same faith that the two spies had where they say, you know what? all the land, this whole Christian life, every victory over sin and temptation, every victory over fear and doubt, every battle that you have in your mind has already been won if you will just take up the weapons of warfare that God has given to you and walk in the fullness 
of what the champion has won for you. And listen, I, I would say tonight that you need to receive that. You need to be encouraged by that. When God brings an encouraging word, say yes to that word. Say yes to it tonight. Say yes to it tonight and, and receive it, but also be an encouragement to somebody. You know, I think that Joshua was a dude that struggled a little bit with fear, right? That's why God had to say, buddy, buddy, be strong and of good courage. He had to say that to him because he battled with insecurity, battled with fear. And, and I just think that there are a lot of people around us, more than we probably realize, who battle with fear and struggle with insecurity. And so how good is it for you to be like these spies in Joshua's life who say to him, man, God's done this. Let's do it. Let's, let's cross the river. Let's walk in victory. It, it's already done. And how Joshua's heart had to have been lifted up and encouraged and I guarantee you there are people in your life that just need to be reminded. And I'm not, I'm not talking tonight about seeing life through rose-colored lenses. I'm not talking tonight about perverting the word of God and making up promises that don't exist. I'm not talking about just being an optimistic person. I'm telling you, directing people to what God said. Direct people to what God has said. That's the encouragement that they need. You know, to be able to say, when someone is struggling with fear, hey, Joshua 1.9, be not afraid or dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Bro, I just wanna, I wanna text you that. Sis, I just wanna post this on your social media and I wanna lift you up with this word and you know that word that you give to somebody make, may make all the difference in their life. And so... Believe that God is going to give you the opportunity to do that. And don't be so caught up, and I say this for myself too, let's not be so caught up in our own stuff, in our own struggles, in the busyness of our own lives, that we don't see the needs of people around us and avail ourselves to be used by God to meet those needs, all right? Be an encouragement receive by faith the revelation that God has given to you and don't write yourself off because God has great plans for you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful, God, so thankful tonight for your word and just a, a solid portion of scripture that we can really anchor ourselves to and that can be an anchor for our souls and a firm, firm footing in these slippery times. Tonight, you know, as our eyes are closed, our heads are bowed, I just have to ask tonight. I have to ask. Maybe you've never put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. Would you be willing to do that tonight? There's a revelation that's been given to you and, and maybe you see others believing in Jesus and, and you know there's something different about their lives. There's a real change that's been made and, and, and that's good. It's good for you to see it. But God gives you those things to see so that you can choose yourself to follow him, to be in a place where you can say, I know, I know that Jesus died for me I know that Jesus rose again, and I know I, 
am forgiven of my sins because of my faith in his sacrifice. Tonight, would you be willing to take that step of faith? If you've never received Christ personally as your Lord and Savior, I wanna lead you in a prayer. And so tonight, this is how your relationship with God begins. It begins by you praying to him and putting your faith in Christ and turning away from your sin because all of us have sinned. So right where you're sitting tonight, I wanna lead you in this prayer. I'm gonna ask you to follow along. Make this your prayer to God and believe that as you pray this to him, he's gonna hear and he's gonna answer. Pray this with me. Father, thank you that you've spoken to me. Thank you for the revelation tonight that you've given to me. No more resisting. No more hiding from you. No more putting off this decision. But tonight I choose. I choose to believe in Jesus. To believe that he died for me. And that he rose again. Tonight I choose to confess my sin to you. And tonight I receive your forgiveness, your mercy, and your grace in my life. Tonight as our eyes are closed, our heads are bowed, if you prayed with me to receive Christ, I'm so thankful tonight. We celebrate that step of faith that you've taken and I wanna pray for you this evening. I'm just gonna ask you, if you followed me in prayer, would you raise your hand tonight so I can see who you are and so I can pray for you. Thank you, I see your hand and I see your hand and I see yours and I see yours. It's awesome, I see your hand as well. Thank you. See your hand here in the center in the back. Anybody else? Father, we're so thankful, God, so thankful tonight for these beautiful and precious lives that you've touched. And thank you for this beginning step of faith that they've taken. And God, we pray that you would just do great things that you'd bring the, the healing and the wholeness and the hope to their lives, that they'd leave this place rejoicing that they know you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. So thankful tonight.